Let's open our Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter. Chapter 5. We want to bring you a message on the Beatitudes. We'll start with verse 1 down through verse 12. That's a portion of Christ's introduction in this Sermon on the Mount. It's carried on on down to verse 16 would be the introduction. And then the Sermon on the Mount covers chapters 5 through 7. You find in chapter 5, verse 17 through 7:12, you have the exposition expounded. In other words, exposition of this sermon. And then in chapter 7, verses 13 through 29, the last part of it, you have the application of the sermon. So you have the Beatitudes, you have the exposition, you have the application of this Sermon on the Mount. Now, let's read verses 1 through 12 right now, if you will. Then we'll come back and give you the message. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely, for my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now then, we have here the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount. The preacher, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the longest recorded sermon of Jesus. He probably preached many of them that uh, we do not have the record of. And maybe some even longer. We don't know. But this is a recorded sermon of Jesus. And the place was a mountain in Galilee. The listeners, for, first of all, were the disciples and then the multitudes round about. He taught his disciples, but he had an eye upon the multitudes. And the subject he begins with is a blessing. Just a part of the introduction of this Sermon on the Mount is the Beatitudes that we call them. Now let me say right up front that this is not the Gospel. The Gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So you're not saved by what is recorded here. There may be instruction as to what attitude of heart and what things are involved in our repentance. We'll talk about that in the poor in spirit. The very first one of the Beatitudes. You know, we're poverty uh, stricken is spiritually. We, we do not have any spiritual value. And that comes, and we'll talk about that in a moment as we progress in the message. But the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And Paul tells us what the gospel is. It's concerning Christ died for our sins and He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So the gospel has to do with the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. And so... These things here are not to point out uh, how you are saved by believing the gospel, but it may indicate the attitude that we have when we first hear the word of God and, and recognizing poverty of spirit. And we'll get, get into that in our message in a little bit. But I want to make it very clear that you're not saved by the Sermon on the Mount. 
In fact, a lot of things on this is Christ's law in the New Testament, whereas we don't have the law of the Old Testament in focus now. But this is his law in the New Testament, which tells us, you know, he goes on to say in the in the rest of this that uh, that one jot or one tittle shall not pass away from it. And he tells us that a lot of things about what we shall not do. And, uh, of course, he tells us about forgiveness of, of brothers' trespasses. And he tells us about adultery and about things like that. And, you know, there's some people say, well, I kept the Sermon on the Mount. I live. In other words, my gospel is the Sermon on the Mount. If it is, you're probably under condemnation because you haven't lived up to what's said here. And so, what I want to say, even though I mentioned those things beforehand, is to let you know that this is the subject that he's beginning with, or Beatitudes, blessings. Of course, we're dealing with just a part of the Sermon on the Mount. But in this message this morning, Jesus tells us how to be happy. The word blessed here means happiness. Happy or the poor in spirit. We say, happy or the poor in spirit? The degree of our happiness will depend upon the measure of our conformity to this Sermon on the Mount, as it's preached by our Lord Jesus Christ. The art of creating happiness is one of the fine arts. The very style of the preacher, listen, is paradoxical. What do we mean by that? To be happy, you must be unhappy. For it's the mourner that's blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Happy is the man that mourns over his spiritual poverty. You know, paradoxical is a seemingly contradictory statement that may very well and nonetheless be true. It's a contradictory statement when we think of it, don't isn't it? To say, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So it seems like it's a contradictory statement, and yet it is not. So we're told here how to be happy. Now then, to be happy you must be unhappy, for it's the mourner that is blessed. This is rightly the opposition to what the world would profess to be the way of happiness. And as we look at these Beatitudes, think of it this way. Eight links of a chain, one attached to another. Or think of a ladder, eight runs of the ladder. You start at the bottom, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And they progress as you go along. You're climbing this ladder. We find that as we look at these Beatitudes, we find them in that way. You know, in our uh, Constitution, we speak of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that's what we're pursuing today, is the pursuit of happiness. So we want to deal with each one of these in a particular way, as if you were climbing this ladder, and there's eight runs of the ladder. And the first thing, by the way, the last two, there's nine blessings here, but the last two are connected together because they are the blessedness of being persecuted. If you look at verse 10 and 11, and we'll just give you this to show you, it says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then on down verse 11, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. So the last two are connected together. And we get that right up front. Now let's look at the first one of these. It says in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who realize their own inward Poverty And all blessings begin here. When we look at ourselves inside, we realize that we're spiritual paupers to begin with. We really have nothing inside, do we? Unless God gives it to us. He gives us the riches of His grace and riches of His Spirit, but we're, we're very poor spiritually. 
And all blessings begin here. This is the first run in the ladder of true happiness. We have nothing spiritually true of the sinner seeking divine forgiveness. He has nothing to offer God. And it's true of the believer seeking power for divine service. Either the sinner has nothing to offer God, and we have nothing to offer. We're, we, if we're going to serve God, we need His spiritual wealth and riches in order to be able to serve God. On our own, you know, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. We must realize we have nothing to offer except by the grace of God. And when we do realize that, then we're on the right track. A beggar. We're really a beggar rather than a poor man. A poor in spirit. We're more than poor. We're beggars. We're conscious of our need. We're conscious of our emptiness. Uh, we realize our complete dependence upon God. A true estimate our, of ourselves is that we're blind. and We cannot see without God's opening our eyes. We see ourselves as evil and weak. We see ourselves as sinners. First of all, as sinners that need to be saved, and then sinners saved by grace. We still need God's input and God's riches of the spiritual things in order to be able to serve God. And the only way to begin to possess Christ's fullness of salvation is by the poverty of spirit. Poverty of spirit. We have plenty of sin. Before we're saved, we have plenty of sin. And even after we're saved, we have too much of it in our lives. And we need the grace of God and we need to confess our sins daily. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, it says, theirs is the kingdom of God, or kingdom of heaven. Let me give you some scriptures. And you copy them down if you don't have time to turn to them. But one is Psalm 34, 18. Psalm 34 and verse 18. Notice what it says here. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, poor in spirit, and save as such as be of a contrite spirit. See that? The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. You know, Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And it says, and save as such as be of a contrite spirit. He's only going to save a person that is of a contrite spirit or has a repentant spirit. We'll get into that in a little bit. Let me give you another reference. Psalm 57, verse 15. It says this, For thus saith the high and holy, a lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. Now look, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also. Now look, I dwell with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God says that He will revive. And then another scripture in Psalm, not Psalm, but I, well, by the way, did I say Psalm? I've been reading from Isaiah. Isaiah 57, verse 15. And I beg your pardon, I'm sorry I gave you the wrong one. But I have another Psalm, another verse I want to give you. I keep saying Psalm, but I only had one. Psalm 34, verse 18. And then Isaiah 57, verse 15. And let me see. Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Now then, I'll give you one more. And this one is in Isaiah 66, verse 2. Isaiah 66, verse 2 says, For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. 
But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. So we give you those references to show you that he saveth such as of a contrite spirit. It reminds us of in the New Testament where you find in the book of Luke chapter 18, I believe it is, the publican and the Pharisee and the publican crying out. And the, the publican said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He would not so much as lift up his eyes to heaven. It reminds us also of the prodigal son when he was out in the far country and he said, I, I will return to my father's house. He says, there's bread enough in my father's house in despair, and I perish with hunger. He says, I will say to my father, I've sinned against heaven and against thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And so he rose and came to his father. When he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and had compassion, and ran, and fell upon his neck, and kissed him. In other words, he welcomed him home, because the prodigal had come to the place that he realized that he needed the Father. So, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is where we need to begin in all of our lives. For the sinner that has never received Christ, he needs to realize he doesn't have anything and repent of his sins. And it will lead to mourning. It will lead to sorrow. In fact, if you look, it will lead to, in verse 4 it says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. If you look in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10, let me give you what it says here. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now what does he say? Godly sorrow, that's the poor in spirit, worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. That's Second Corinthians 7 and verse 10. So blessed are they that mourn. This is the logical sequence of the realization of our inward need and our inward poverty. The, this is mourning over our spiritual poverty. All mourners are not blessed. Many are the mourners because of external circumstances. Just like we said, the sorrow of this world, you know, there are people that can be sorrow, have sorrow, but it says the sorrow of this world worketh death. They're not really repentant, they're just overwhelmed with the sorrows that come from disobeying God and the consequences of disobeying God. And that worketh death. That, that's not the repentance we're talking about. Some people are sorrowful that they have gotten caught in their sins. You'll find people over in the jailhouse or in prison that are uh, they, they don't want to be there and they're sorry that they got caught in what they were doing. But the sorrow that leads to salvation worketh repentance unto salvation. So all mourners are not blessed. Many are the mourners because of external circumstances. There is a sinful mourning which is an enemy to blessedness. It's an enemy to blessedness. The sorrow of the world. The sorrow of this world. We need a sorrow for our sins, it's true. A godly sorrow that works repentance in our lives would not even lift us up our eyes to heaven as the publican. We just say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. True repentance is to turn to God from idols. Remember Paul mentioned the Thessalonians? I believe it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and probably verse 9. It says, And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And verse 10 says, And to wait for His Son from heaven, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. 
So this is the kind of mourning over our sins we need. This is the mourner that is blessed and comforted. The consolation of forgiveness and cleansing. Look at the third one of these. Look in verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, meekness speaks of humility. True meekness is strength under control. You know, meekness is not weakness. A lot of people have misunderstood. Meekness is not weakness. In fact, let me turn you back to the book of Numbers and chapter 12 concerning Moses. And the Miriam and Aaron were uh, questioning Moses' authority to lead them in Numbers 12, verse 2. And they said, Hath not the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Notice, they said, Only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which are upon the face of the earth. And then, of course, God justified Moses in his position as leader. And Miriam was stricken with leprosy, if you read the rest of the chapter, because they tried to worship the authority of their leader, Moses. And the Bible tells us we should not do that. In fact, I think there's a scripture that I could give you in Psalms that tells us in Psalms 104, verse 15 says, Touch, touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. So God is very protective of His leaders. And we realize that we must be meek also. Now this, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But hold your place in Matthew chapter 5. Please do that. Hold your place in Matthew chapter 5, because we'll go right on down the line. I'm sure some of you have already done that. And you might jot down on a piece of paper or somewhere in your Bible these references that I give you too, if you will. Now, this meek, this is a logical sequence which makes up this chain that we're talking about, or the runs of the ladder. The recognition of inward poverty produces tears of contention. And then such tears flow forth and deepening our humility as they come to our lives. You know, when we're crying and we're humble, and when we have tears of repentance, then we have a deepening sense of humility in how we need the Lord. In other words, the way up the ladder is down. The way to God is at the foot of the cross. There's no boasting in self-sufficiency. If we think we're self-sufficient and we try to boast in it, we find that we'll be certainly disappointed. Meekness is not weakness. And as we said, if you look at Moses, Jesus said that I am meek and lowly in heart. He says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen carefully. For I am meek and lowly in heart. Learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You'll find that in Matthew 11, I believe, verse 28 through 30, if you'd like to copy it down. So they shall inherit the earth. This is quoted from one of the Psalms. Possession of the promised land. Our heavenly places in Christ. Then the eternal blessings that we'll enjoy. Now then, look verse 6. It says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We're talking about the way of happiness. Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? They shall be filled. This shows advancement, a real hunger and a real thirsting after righteousness. In Psalm 42, verse 1, it says, as the, Listen carefully. As the heart, the deer, panteth after the water brooks, even so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Do you sometimes just pant after and desire more of the Word of God? That should be the desire of our, our lives as Christians. 
hunger and thirst after righteousness, and hunger and thirst after the Word of God. And if we do that, we're advancing in the things of God. True, real advancement. Have you seen Christian people that could care less about studying their Bible or about the Word of God? You know, there are many like that. They'll say, well, I'll come Sunday morning and hear the preacher preach. And they go home and forget it all till next Sunday. Or maybe two Sundays if they miss the next one. Or three. We don't know how many they'll miss. But we find that there needs to be a hungering and thirsting after God's Word. We need to know more of the Bible. We need to study it. The Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. And how we need God's help in this when we hunger and thirst after righteousness. There is a certain uh, sense in which we, the believer shall never hunger or thirst because in John 6 verse 35 it tells us that the believer shall not hunger or thirst anymore. Look at John chapter 6, if you will, in verse 35. I want to give you this verse. It's about receiving Christ as the bread of life. But notice what it says here. John 6, verse 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Well, in the sense of salvation, if you've come to Christ, you don't need to hunger after salvation anymore. You have it already. You already have salvation. But you do need to hunger and thirst after righteousness, as we read in Matthew chapter 5 that we just have read. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Notice that it's the desire that brings the blessing. Hungering and thirsting are an appetite for the Word of God that often returns to us. Do you have a return day in and day out for hunger and thirst after God's Word? Some people say, well, you know, I went last week or week before and I heard, heard a sermon and that ought to do me for a while. That's not the attitude. The attitude is we need to desire the Word of God. And not only to hear it preached and taught, but you need to read it at home and study it at home. Study the Word of God. You have a Bible. Open it up and look at it. Open it up and study it. Study it systematically. Study a whole chapter. Take it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Let it let your soul and your spirit digest it as you go along. In other words... You can't just read it through hurriedly. That'd be just like coming to the meal and just gobbling it down and going on your way. And you don't have time to taste everything and to enjoy and to really uh, enjoy the meal. So, let, let it come into your being as you read it and study it. And then look at verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. One must stop and think a minute to see the length and the progression of this length. If the soul is right with God, blessed are the merciful, it will be right with our fellow man. If we're right with God, we can be right with our fellow man. If we receive mercy from God, we can extend mercy to others. We can show our concern to others and be sympathetic and loving about their situation, whether it be physical or spiritual. In one sense, Jesus... Remember when He... Uh, cried out in Matthew's Gospel later on, I believe it was chapter 9, the last verses. It said he had compassion on the multitudes. Now look, why? They were not only hungry, but he says because he saw them scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. 
Do you have compassion on people, not only because of their physical needs, but do you have compassion upon them because they're so mixed up in this world and they're scattered abroad as what? Sheep having no shepherd, no leader. No one to teach them the Word. No one to guide them. No one to be a pastor to them. So, blessed are the merciful. You cannot enjoy divine forgiveness and then yet hold an unforgiving spirit. If God has forgiven you, the Bible says that we should... For Christ's sake, forgive others. You cannot hold the spirit of unforgiveness. The Bible tells us even in this Sermon on the Mount. Turn over to chapter 6, verse, verse 13. It says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Verse 14, Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. See, you have to have a forgiving spirit. Have you ever seen folks that say, you know, I'll try to forget that, but I just cannot forgive that fellow of what he did. I'll tell you for sure, you've got to have for your own spiritual well-being a forgiving spirit. The bottom line, you've got to have that. And you can have that. There's nothing that keeps you from having that. And we all need that. And when you do, you'll have the peace that passeth understanding. And if you don't have that, you will not have peace. Don't go around and hold a grudge. Don't go around with a chip on your shoulder. Don't go around and just dare someone to knock it off. You'll be in trouble the rest of the days. The man who receives mercy longs to bestow it. The man who does not have a revengeful spirit, but a desire to be forgiving and loving and compassionate, he will certainly be blessed. Blessed are the pure in heart. Look at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now then, we know that we don't have pure hearts by nature. We have sinful hearts. We've sinned against God, and we feel we're sinners. We know we're sinners, and everyone else should know it. And they probably will. But on the other hand, inside we know it. And the Bible says that uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in Acts chapter 15, let me read a scripture for you. Acts chapter 15 and verse uh, 8 is talking about God saving the Gentiles. And it's a report of the ones that had ministered. And it says this in verse 8, And God which knoweth the hearts... Bear them witness, giving us them the Holy Ghost, even as in us. Now in verse 9, And put no difference between us and them. Now look at this statement. Purifying their hearts by faith. God purified the hearts of these Gentiles by faith. And by the way, if you look down at verse 11, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. That's when Peter was speaking. He said, We believe that these Gentiles had their hearts purified by faith, and we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we, Jews, shall be saved even as they. So, if there was any question about anyone's salvation, it was not these Gentile converts, it was the Jewish believers. So, Peter says, we believe we can be saved just like those Gentiles, because God purified their hearts by faith. We won't have time to expound that whole section but uh, I've expounded it before to you. So we must lift up to God not only clean hands, but a pure heart. 
It tells in Psalm 24, verse 4 and 5. The pure in heart are those who have exercised and received the previous qualifications and bestowments from God. Every link of this chain, every rung of this ladder. See God now, and we shall see Him hereafter. Now then, two more. Verse 9. You have Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Peacemakers. A pure heart makes possible for a soul to be the center of peace instead of the cause of strife. The Greek means peace bearer, peacemakers, peace bearer. How Christ makes peace and how He made peace. He made peace for us through the blood of His cross. We must link this characteristic with those that we have already studied. What is it to be a peacemaker? Peace of reconciliation with God. Do the very best to dispel strife wherever you may find it, in the family or otherwise. Remember back there, Abraham in the book of Genesis, I believe it's chapter 13, was dealing with Lot. And what did he say? There was a strife, listen carefully, between Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. And Abraham said to Lot, Let there be no strife between us, because we be brethren. Let there be no strife between us. That's a good feeling, isn't it? Turn to Psalm 133. I didn't have it in my notes today, but I'll just give you Psalm 133. Turn to Psalm 133. And we're going to read the whole psalm. And sometimes that shocks people. They think it's going to be a whole five pages. It's three verses. We're going to read Psalm 133. Look, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Isn't that something? Psalm 133, verse 1. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that was his anointing, that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. What does it say? How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. What are we talking about? Peacemakers. To dwell together in unity. You know, I love that in our church. And that's the kind of atmosphere we want to be there in the church. And then look at this last one. And you have now in, in Matthew chapter 5, and we'll read verse 10 and 11. Blessed are they which are persecuted. We're talking about the persecuted being blessed. For righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let's think of that for a moment. Persecution is to be expected if you have these other things in your life. Somebody's not going to like it. Isn't that something? That you have all these good things going for you. Blessed means happy. You have all this going for you, and yet someone will not like it. So, it's to be expected. Because the world hates those who do not conform to its standards and do not follow its pleasures. You know what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1? He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, listen carefully, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now the next verse says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be ye transformed. It doesn't say by the renewed mind, but by the renewing of your mind, because a Christian has to renew their minds constantly. It says, by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so the persecution comes because we do not conform to the one the standards of this world. Antagonism is inevitable between the true Christian life and the world. His principles, your principles are different. Your practices are different. And then notice this. When you are persecuted, you're in good company. Look at this verse, verse 12. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. The prophets had this same persecution. But what does he say? It says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. That's verse 12. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. When this persecution comes, some people say, well, how can I rejoice when I'm a, as a Christian and I have everything uh, that, that leads up to my, my being happy in the Lord, to my happiness, how can I rejoice in that? It tells us to. For so persecuted they the prophets. We know it's inevitable. We know it's to be expected. And it says, for great is your reward in heaven. I've used this before. If the people that persecute you, remember, you remember what I said about that? How many remember what I said about that? Lift your hand up. Do you remember what I said about that? I don't see anyone that remembers. Okay. Well, what I said about that, if those that persecute you realize that they were only laying up for you rewards in heaven, they might quit. That's what I said about it. Time and again. If the fellow that's persecuting you realize that what he's doing is not not causing you harm, but laying up for you some rewards, he might just cease from doing it. So I think these blessedness, and you know there's so much that we could say, but I think that they teach us a good lesson as to how we should live and how we can be blessed of the Lord. So, blessed begins with that verse, for the poor in spirit and ends with those that are persecuted. I want us to stand together and have a pianist and song leader come and we just have a verse of invitation.